This morning's scripture reading is from Hebrews 4, verses 11 through 16. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask that you would prepare our hearts right now to hear from your word. We ask for your anointing upon Tom. Pastor Tom, as he speaks, would you anoint him? Would you guide him, direct him? Lord, may your will be done today. Amen. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to heaven in time of need. We're in the middle of a series entitled Draw Near, and we're going to continue that today. It's a study in the book of Hebrews. And the reason why we call it Draw Near is because we see all throughout the book of Hebrews, the expression, the impression that he's trying to get to us is the idea that because of the new covenant, because of what Jesus Christ has done, we have the ability, we have the opportunity to draw near to him. The author of Hebrews is speaking to to a Jewish audience, and he's trying to speak to them and influence them to not return back to um, the the laws of Judaism, but to continue to move forward and to press in more deeply with God. And he's saying, listen, the old covenant did not give us the opportunity that we have now. And so time and time and time again, throughout the book of Hebrews, he uses that phrase, draw near. That is what is afforded to us today. We have the ability to draw near to God that we have the ability to discover in God and find in Christ something that wasn't available before. And if you remember, we were kind of down that path the last time we were together as we were covering chapter 3 and as we're moving into chapter 4, that there is something available to us through the work of Jesus Christ, and that which is available to us is rest. The author of Hebrews was declaring throughout, he was saying, listen, guys, There is a rest that is available to you. And as he was speaking to to, to a Jewish audience and he's speaking to us, he uses as an illustration the Israelites who wandered in the wilderness. Do you remember? He he said, listen, there were these people who wandered and there were were some who did not enter into the rest that was afforded to them, that was available to them. The, The entire illustration he's giving us, don't be like them. There is a rest available to you, the rest that Jesus Christ speaks of when, when he says, when he says my, my, burden, my burden is easy, my yoke is light, and, and enter in and find rest. 
The declaration that we see in Philippians that talks about the idea that when we cast all our cares on him, when we bring our prayers to him, we can find a peace that passes all understanding. There is a rest that is available to us. And that is the immediate context for the text that was just read. That is is the, the initial introduction to the passages we just read. And it's really the context of the entire book to this point. And and it really is vital to understand that as we read these these two important passages that we read that make up the text this morning. But one of the things that I think is interesting is as well known as these two passages might be, I don't think they're necessarily well understood. Did you notice something as as Elise read the passage? Did you notice something about those two passages that make up this morning's reading? Um, Did you notice they they seemingly have very different tones? They they seem to have a different weight to them. They seem to have a a different um, uh, uh, emotional impact when you read them. The first is verses 11 through 13. It goes like this. It says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed in the eyes of him whom we must give account. Do you feel that? There, There seems to be this dark, almost foreboding feeling about it, almost this warning to you. Listen, you are laid bare, and you're going to give an account for that. And then the second reads this way. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now that's an encouraging word, isn't it? We, we come out of this one where it's like, guys, be careful because it's like this sword that's hanging over you and he sees everything. And you're going to give an account for that. And then we read this one that says, oh, he's, he's like, he's a high priest that knows exactly what it's like. And He has mercy and grace, and we can draw near because he understands. They seem very different in tone. They seem very different in intent. But both sides of these are vital to our understanding of the work of Christ in our lives. And when you understand them rightly, this passage, you discover that both represent powerful encouragements to us. Today we're going to focus in on the first portion, and next week we'll focus in on the second. But I wanted you to see the seemingly different tones, because hopefully after today, you'll see them being reconciled. That they aren't different in tone, they aren't different in intent. They both are meant to be beautiful encouragements to us as we walk into this relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, the first passage, 11 through 13, is probably where we have the most work to do in really understanding it. As I said said earlier, and as we read this, 
It feels foreboding, almost threatening. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one would fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of the soul and of the spirit of joints of marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. But the context to understanding both the tone and the message here are key. First of all, what you have to be reminded of, what you have to remember, is that this entire passage is encouraging you to find rest. Everything we've read in, in, in chapter 3 up, and so far in chapter 4 is an encouragement to say, listen guys, there is a way to find a rest in Jesus. There is a way to find a peace in Jesus. There is a rest that is available to us through a life in, with Jesus Christ. As I say, to this point, chapters 3 and 4 have meant to remind us of the heart of Christ, the heart he has for us, that he wants us to enter into rest. That when we listen and obey the words of God, as Jeremiah 31 says, he will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul he will replenish. That we can find, the, find in the life of Christ the promise of Christ discovered in Matthew 11 where he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And as Philippians 4 promises, we'll be able to live in this place of rest. Not, not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, we'll be able to make, thank, we'll, with thanksgiving, we'll be able to make our requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This is what this conversation is about. It's about finding that peace. So the leading here isn't to threaten us with the sword of judgment, but instead to assure us that there is a way to find rest. And what is that way? Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let us strive, he says, to enter that rest. And what is the path to enter the rest? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God is the path. Strive to enter the rest I have for you. How? Through the word of God. This is what the author of Hebrews has been saying is the difference between the Israelites who perished in that desert and the ones that entered into that rest. Throughout this point, he's been talking about that idea that God would speak and some would hear and respond and some would ignore and disobey. That those who perished were the ones that, that did not listen to the word of God and obey. And those that entered into the promised land 
were those who did. This is the illustration that he's been using to this point. In chapter 3, remember, he says this, As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? What's he saying? God spoke. God was speaking to them, but they hardened their hearts. And therefore, they lost their way. And he's saying, don't be like that. Hear the word of God and respond. He says the same idea, he gives us the same idea in chapter four when he says, for good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listen. He reiterates the same idea. He says, in the same way they got good news, we've received good news. But they didn't make it because they didn't hold on to it and listen you guys got to hear the good news and you got to listen to it. You got to hear the word of God and follow. And he says it again in verse 6. He reiterates it and says, And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. They received the word of God and they didn't follow it. So, what is he saying to this point? He's saying, God has a promised rest for you. One that will satisfy your weary soul. Rest that is not burdensome and heavy laden, but one that is easy and light. A place where anxiousness is gone and where through prayer and supplications, God will provide you a peace that passes all understanding. And that place, that rest, will be found simply in listening to and following the word of God. Why? Why? Why will you find that rest in listening to and following the word of God? Because the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, this is where the power of the word of God is being revealed that we don't fully step into because we don't grasp the context and the true intent of this passage. Understand what I'm saying? He's telling us there is a rest to be found in the word of God. But one of the primary reasons why many of us do not enter into that rest, do not find that peace, is because we don't really deeply understand this passage as it's calling us to hear the word of God and respond. We've all heard this passage if we've been in church any period of time. And we have all embraced this passage as being a commentary on the Bible. That the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And as much as it is okay and even proper to understand the passage as a commentary on the Bible, it actually isn't the most proper way to understand given the passage's context. I know that sounds kind of controversial to this point, but I want you to understand something about this. 
you have to understand the context. You have to understand who is saying it and who is listening to it to really understand what he's trying to get us to do. Listen to how one commentator explains it. So what is the writer referring to by the word of God? This verse is frequently taken as a description of the word of God in general, which of course is not an inappropriate application. Indeed, one can make a list of at least five wonderful characteristics of the word of God from this description. But the careful reader must remember that accurate interpretation is dependent on interpreting the text in context and failure to interpret word of God in the context of the writer's argument is to miss his main reason for inserting this description at this point in the book of Hebrews. In the present context, Hebrews 3 and 4, the author has been emphasizing that it is urgent that his readers enter God's rest today. He emphasized the way in which one enters his rest is by faith, faith that obeys and perseveres and holds fast until the end. The immediate context indicates that some of the readers were in danger of seeming to fall short of entering God's rest and even falling back into Judaism. It is in this background he warns that the readers that the word of God they just heard is alive and can pierce right down into the innermost part of the heart. So what is the author of Hebrews saying? He's saying that God is speaking to them now. And they need to take heed and follow his speaking. And in this context, through he's not, he's not in this context, the author here isn't referencing the canon of Scripture. The canon of Scripture didn't exist. The Bible wasn't there. So when he talks about this, he's not referring to the Bible, to Scripture, to the Word of God the way we are. He's referring to a very dynamic, a very contemporaneous speaking of God to his people. He's talking about that there are current ways in the Holy way in which the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church in community. In chapter 3, he makes reference to the teachings of Christ that are being passed down from the apostles as the word of God, the preaching of God's word, he refers to. In that same chapter, he references the Holy Spirit speaking and saying, Today, if you hear his voice. In verse 13, he talks about exhorting one another daily. In fact, in chapters 3 and 4, four different times he says, Today, if you hear the voice of God. Today, if the Holy Spirit is speaking. The very clear implication is the contemporaneous, living, active voice of the Holy Spirit, which is the word of God, is to be listened to, is to be heard. And when we hear and obey, then we find rest. What I'm saying to you is that the passage in context is not limited to the words on the pages of our Bible but makes reference in context to the living, breathing expression of the Holy Spirit manifesting himself in the church through the very gifts of the Spirit to the church referenced in 1 Corinthians and demonstrated throughout the New Testament. Now, please understand what I'm saying. And, and, and don't take this, 
out of context and don't, and, and don't read into what I'm saying, something that's not being said. I'm not diminishing the Bible as the word of God. It is the word of God. It is living and active. It pierces and divides. It is and has become the foundation, the anchor point of all the words of God. But the context of this passage, both in textual context and in the narrative context, God is speaking. The word of God is coming through his Holy Spirit in the teaching of the word, in the manifestations of the gifts of prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, miracles, healing, visions, and so on. Understand understand how the listeners were hearing the author of Hebrews. What it was that they would understand as he writes this to them. For them, what would be echoing in their ears would be the writings of Paul in 1 Corinthians. Hear the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians in light of the instructions that we just read in Hebrews. Now remember, this is the context the audience would be reading Hebrews in. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Did you see how Paul introduces this concept? He says, many of you guys were led astray by what? Mute idols. Idols that weren't speaking. Idols that weren't giving you the word. But now you serve a God who is speaking. And then he unfolds the manifestations of the Spirit as means by which God is speaking to his people. As the author of Hebrews is saying, if you hear his voice today, obey his word. Because it is through that that you will find rest. Because when he speaks, the word of God is living, it is dividing, it is discerning the thoughts and the hearts of men. The audience's experience wouldn't lead to being relegated to the written word, but the word of God coming to the church through the Holy Spirit in these manifestations of the Spirit. Now let me try to explain to you how this works. So many people will get uncomfortable um, when we enter into this, because they create this false idea that somehow the the Pentecostal charismatic revelation of God's word is a new revelation meant to supersede the Bible. Um, And and, and to be perfectly honest with you, that is a silly idea. That That is a foundationally flawed, false idea that I think quite often is put forward by those people who want to oppose um, charismatic theology. Um, I've been a part of the charismatic uh, Pentecostal movement since I was seven years of age. I've never once come across a single person 
who has ever proposed an idea that says, this is more important, this should be taken as more important than the Bible. Um, we always go through a, a, a process of confirming the word presented as God's word. We, we, anytime anyone says, this is what God is saying, this is what, what God is presenting to us that we need to follow, we've always gone through a process to determine if, in fact, it is the word of God. We've done that with the Bible, you know. That, that there's, there's lots of books that were presented to the church and said, this is the word of God, this is the word of God, this is the word of God. We went through a process, and, I, and I'm not going to get bogged down in, in, in talking to you about the apologetics and, 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 um, and the higher criticisms and lower criticisms that, that allow us to arrive at the fact that what we have here is the word of God given to us as the church. But let me assure you, I believe that this Bible is the word of God and is the anchor and the foundation for everything God is saying from, from the dawn of time to now. So we went through a process. There's a reason why when you open your Bible, you don't see the book of Enoch in there. There's a reason why when you open your Bible, you don't see the book of Thomas in there. We go through a process and we realize that this is God and, 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 and it's been confirmed and it continues to be confirmed. And even honestly now, we, we do that even now, right? Because there's lots of people that I know open up the Bible and say, well, this is what God is saying. But just because they point to a sentence in the Bible and say, this is what God is saying, we don't just accept it, do we? We go through a process. When I'm up here preaching the word of God, yours should be going through that same process. Well, what does the Bible say? When Tommy's talking about this, what does the Bible say about this? So we're still going through a process of confirming the word of God as being true, as it's being presented to us as the word of God. And, and you know what I learned in Bible college? The best way, the best commentary on the Bible, the best way to interpret the Bible is from the Bible. So what we do is we go through and we say, well, no, what you're saying is not true. And the reason why I know that's not true is because if you read down here or you read over here, that's the context. And you know what we do when in the charismatic world we believe that God has given a word? You know the first place we go is to the Bible. Because every word from God is consistent. The Holy Spirit gave us the Bible. And when the Holy Spirit speaks now, it will not contradict the Bible. So the first test we have when anyone says, this is what God is saying, is, does it submit to the word of God? If it's counter to, if, it's, if it contradicts the Bible, it is not the word of God, and it's not to be listened to. The second question you have to ask yourself is, does it reflect the nature of God? When, when a word comes to me, or the Holy Spirit speaks to me, or someone speaks to me through the gifts of the Spirit, or I hear a preacher speak, I go, is what they're saying align with the nature of God? Does this work the way God works? Is it his character that is being revealed into this? The third test we always give is, does it glorify God? This is one of those things that we, we saw even here where, where, where Paul is, is using that as, as, as the intro to his introduction or to his conversation about the gifts of the Spirit. He says, listen, only by the Spirit can people say Jesus is Lord. So he's saying, what are the tests you can give? If, if it's glorifying, if it's lifting up, if it's magnifying God, likely it's coming from God. 
It's the same way in which when the Pharisees would go to Jesus and Jesus would teach, they're like, this guy's of Satan. And he's like, really? Like, I'm lifting up God and you think I'm coming from Satan? And then finally, that the fourth test is, does it build up the church of God? So if, if, the, if something is coming, if somebody's coming, it's like, this is what God is saying. It's got to be in alignment with the word of God. It, it, has, to be, it, has, to, uh, it has to reveal the nature of God. It has to glorify God. It has to build up the church of God. Each one of those is a test to go, well, maybe this actually is the word of God speaking to us. Now, to me, this is, this is important to me, and this is important to me for our church. And, and it's important for us to get this right. Because what the, I'm reading in this passage, what I'm reading in Hebrews 4, is this. That the word of God is the path to the rest he has for us. Now, I heard recently a, a popular preacher who is particularly critical of the charismatic, and he proposed two questions in an attempt to challenge and undermine the notion of God speaking in this charismatic way. And the first question he posed was this, do we, as charismatics, give the same weight to words of God expressed through the charismatic gifts as we do to the Bible? Now, ultimately what he's trying to do is he's trying to paint those who would respond to this affirmatively as saying, well, yeah, we, we think that when somebody says something to us, it's just as important as the Bible. Uh, and, and my unashamed answer to this is, yes, of course we do. When God speaks, we need to listen and obey however God speaks. Because the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, even as I say that, we go through a process, the process I laid out for you. If somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Tommy, I have a word for you. In fact, at, before service started, somebody came up and he just handed me an envelope and said, I feel like God gave me a word for you, Pastor Tommy, and it's in this envelope, and read it. The first thing I'm going to do is if somebody gives me a word and says, I'm going to look at them and go, does this submit to the word of God? If you give me something that's counter to the word of God, out of hand, I'm going to take and throw it in the trash. And then I'm going to walk through the rest of the process. Does this, refi- does this reflect the nature of God? Uh, does this bring glory to God? Does this build up the people of God? And when I land at that, what I begin to understand is, I can now realize with some confidence that this is the word of God speaking to me. And that gives us a responsibility to listen and obey. Now, let me give you some some examples from my life that I hope bring some clarity to this conversation. From the time I was 12 or 13 years of age, 14 years of age, I had multiple people come up to me and say, you know what, Tommy? I feel like God may be calling you to be a pastor. And my mom would talk to me about this. The pastors at my churches would talk to me about this. People would talk to me about this. And my response every time they did was, no, he's not. (laughs) And when I was 12, 13, 14, 15 years of age, I looked around and I saw what it was like to be a pastor, and I had no interest whatsoever. My my goal, my, my desire in life was to be an attorney, um, my desire was to, was to eventually become a judge, that kind of thing. That was, my, that was my dream for my life. 
Because I looked around and I saw the life that it took to be a pastor. And I saw all these guys, they'd be in church for two years, three years, and they'd move. And then they'd go from that church and they'd move their family. And they'd be there for four years and they'd move. And they all over the place. None, nobody would seem to be making any money. And I was absolutely, absolutely dead set against ever becoming a pastor. But I had multiple people in my life who were followers of Jesus Christ, who I knew the Holy Spirit was working through, speaking to me saying, Tommy, I think you need to pray about this. I feel like God is calling you too. And then when I was 15 years of age, actually, so I just turned 16, I was at camp. And there was a man who got up and he began to preach and he began to share about what it is to be a minister of the gospel. And everything he shared, I can remember this, everything he shared was negative, essentially. He talked about the sacrifice. He talked about those who died for their faith. He talked about everything. And he said, but if God is calling you to be a minister of the gospel, there is nothing else you can do. And as I stood there, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, I'm calling you. And I'll never forget that camp chapel walking down the center, the center aisle, going off to the side and having people lay hands on me and pray for me. And it was at that point that I determined that God was calling me to be a minister of the gospel and I was going to pursue that. And I did. I began to. When I was 15, 16, 17 years of age, I hung out with pastors. I traveled with pastors. I was preaching in, in youth groups when I was in my teens. Went off to Bible college and I spent two years in Bible college and God was blessing and doing things, but all of a sudden there was a season I went through that was incredibly destructive to my faith. I had three different ministers who were close, who had mentored me, who had poured into me, fell. They had, they had affairs. They left the ministry. I had people who went through divorce. Families fell apart. And I was 20 years of age, and I was sitting there going, God, I will not do this anymore. That I, that's the path. That's why I didn't want to do this to begin with, because I saw what was going on in these people's lives. And I was so broken, I was so distraught, and I was so rebellious against the call of my life. I'll never forget that Sunday night when I walked up to Brookfield Assembly of God, and I walked to the back of the church, and I grabbed the handle of that white door. And as I was opening the door, I said, God, if you do not speak to me tonight, I will never darken the door of a church again as long as I live. And I walked in that church, and I sat in the right-hand side in the back row, I don't remember at all what the message was. I don't remember at all what took place during that service because I realized the declaration I'd made to God was a serious declaration. And I prayed that entire time. I said, God, you better have something for me tonight because I will not do this anymore. At the end of the service, they called, they asked people to come forward for prayer and I came and I kneeled, knelt down at the altar and this little old lady came over and put her hand on my back and kneeled next to me. She, she was my... Uh, she was my Sunday school teacher when I was seven years of age. And she kneels next to me and she begins to prophesy in my ear. And She said, the Lord would have you know that he has called you. He has called you to minister the gospel, that you will stand and you will preach and you will declare my name before thousands. And many will come to know me because of the ministry that I have for you. Now, let me ask you this question. Does it pass the test? What, does it pass the test? Is, does the word that she delivered submit to the word of God that we read in the Bible? 
Does it, does it reflect the nature of God? Does it give, bring glory to God? And does it magnify, does it build up God's church? But let's step in even further and ask this question. Does it pass the test of Hebrews chapter 4? Where it says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. That, that it cuts through the very mar- marrow of our bone. That it distinguishes and determines the very thoughts and intent of the heart of man. Who else knew? what I was thinking when I walked through that door. But the Spirit of God and the Word of God came to me. And what was my responsibility? What should my responsibility be? How would I respond to that? Could I say to God in that moment, well, you know what? It's not written in the Bible, so I don't have to listen to this. I'm going to go be a lawyer. No, I had to listen and obey. Let me give you a more contemporary story that I received from a a good friend of ours. She's somebody who lives in Italy, and she's been used of God in some incredible ways. And God just speaks to her. The Holy Spirit speaks to her in some incredible, in just in ways that are beyond what I've ever experienced. And she shared with us a story of one day she was meeting with a friend of hers who wasn't a Christian. And they were having coffee together, and she was feeling as though she was supposed to share with her Jesus. She was trying to share Christ with this woman and couldn't figure out a way to talk to her. In the middle of their conversation, this, girl, this woman gets up and goes to the bathroom, and as our, my friend is sitting there, she feels the Holy Spirit speak to her and said, ask her about a cat. And she thought, are you crazy? She's like, I'm not going to ask her about a cat. We haven't been talking about pets or cats or anything like that. And when she came back, she decided she'd submit to what she felt the Holy Spirit saying to her. And she says, hey, do you have a cat? And she said, no. She said, well, do you, do you like cats? And she said, no, not really. And at this point, she realized she had, a, she had an option. She could either drop the cat conversation or she could go pressing even further. And she finally looked at her and she said, listen, I don't know what this is about, but I felt as though the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said to ask you about cats. And as she said this, this girl sitting across from her began to cry. And she said, when I was a little girl, I had a grandfather. And my grandfather was the one who used to take me to church and teach me about Jesus. But when I was young, he died. And I was so upset and I was so broken, I ran out of, my, out of the house in tears back into the alley. And as I was sitting there weeping, she said, this cat came out of nowhere and crawled up into my lap. And it was almost as if God had sent someone to comfort me. And she said, I think that you've been sent here to call me back to the church that my grandfather introduced me to, to the Jesus that he taught me. And in that moment and in that place, she gave her heart to the Lord and came to know him. Are you telling me that that was not the word of God to her? That it wasn't her responsibility to respond to that? To receive from God the comfort, the rest, the hope, that God wasn't through that determining the thoughts and the intents of the heart of man through the word of God. This is God continuing to use his word in our lives to bring us to the comfort and rest that he promises us. If you hear his voice today, 
Obey his word, because it is through that that you will find rest. Because when he speaks, the word of God is living, it is dividing, it is discerning the thoughts and the hearts of man. This is where peace is found, in hearing his voice, responding to the word of God, the word of God that is found in the pages of the Bible, the word of God taught through the preaching of the word, the word of God expressed through the impression of the Holy Spirit, presented through the gifts of the Spirit. I had said earlier that the preacher proposed two questions, and I've already addressed the first. But the second was this. If God was speaking, wouldn't he speak to those with better theology? And my answer to that, again, is yes, and he does. Not to say that every charismatic person has great theology. In fact, many are plain wrong and even heretical. But good theology does not deny that his Holy Spirit is still speaking today. You can have a well-thought position on superlapsarianism. Or you can have the right view of limited atonement. Or, or you can fully understand the concept of the security of the believer. But if you deny that God, through the Holy Spirit, is speaking us today, then I'm here to tell you, you have a huge hole in your theology. If you harden your heart to the word of God, you will not find rest. The word of God manifested on the pages of the Bible. The word of God shared in the preaching and teaching, admonition and gospel community. And the word of God expressed through the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our midst. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts as those who rebelled in the wilderness. Because if you do, you will stay in the wilderness. If you do, you will not find his rest. If you do, the promise he has for you cannot be fulfilled. Hear the word of God and respond.